Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we're talking to Emma Pallant, the runner turned triathlete and duathlon world champ, has made a home in South Africa. She talks to us all about what it's been like during COVID and how tri training differs from running. She tells us how she had to learn to eat while she races, how that lesson required a passing out once or twice, why she even turned to try in the first place after what she thought would be a career ending injury, and why she loves the atmosphere here more than in track and field. Plus, first, Laura Sadal and I dissect the North American Ironman champs in Tulsa this past weekend. Why was the race dominated by Europeans? And are we about to hit a lull in this weird racing season? Now, we had a few technical difficulties, as is so often the case in the age of Zoom, but you'll want to stay tuned for this conversation. All of that after this break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership gives you access not just to exclusive triathlete content, but to content across all our network brands like Backpacker, Velo News, Outside Magazine, and Trail Runner. With an annual membership, you get two magazine subscriptions, two Velo Press books, a library of resources like yoga journal meditation classes and clean eating meal plans, gear and event discounts, access to Gaia GPS, dozens of training plans through today's plan software, and a free finisher picks package each year. All for just $99. This is the world's best resource for training, nutrition, know-how, and how-tos. Join at triathlete.com backslash outside plus. That's outside P-L-U-S one word dot com. All right, we're back with Sid for Sid Talks. And Sid, I understand you actually watched a lot of Iron Man Tulsa. Wasn't it like the middle of the night for you there? Uh, No, actually, it was kind of it started about half one, half two in the afternoon. So I... I didn't watch all of it, but I did have to say it was on for a large portion of my day in the background as I was doing other other things. I was trying to write the race recap as the race was still happening, <laughs> like trying to get ahead of myself and see, done that. like preempt yeah. things. Um, well, I mean, you basically could yeah. just write Daniela dominates before it, yeah, before yeah. it's even over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe some, oh, it was quite. I think maybe maybe some people would say that was controversial. I mean, she she. Dare I say she looked like she struggled a little bit. Um, she definitely wasn't first the first person they were interviewing at the finish line. They did interview second and third before they interviewed Daniela, which perhaps indicates that maybe she went to medical. She didn't look amazing at the finish line, and she did say she had to really dig deep. But yes, she still won on an off day, perhaps on a day when she struggled. Um you know, Kat Matthews finished five minutes, one second behind Daniela, having served a five-minute penalty. There's lots of shoulda, woulda, couldas. If she hadn't have had that penalty, would she have pushed? Would Daniela have found another gear like she normally does, possibly as well? Um, but yeah, it was another impressive performance by Daniela Reef. But um, yeah, Kat Matthews, what, 2.49, which is the third fastest marathon run time behind Chrissy and Rinnie. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, so she was second and she Sky was like third. She was tired. She did she looked like she was <laughs> bouncing at the end. Um and then yeah, Sky Monch was third also with a sub three hour like 
there was some ridiculous- oh everybody ran it was like oh, you had to run a sub yeah. three hour yeah. marathon um <laughs> somebody asked me because the the the, mar- the women's marathon times were fast and then the men's marathon times were just ridiculous and so someone asked me you know was it a fair course like was it long as like yeah fully 26.2 miles and obviously this is the first running of tulsa so we don't really like know yet what exactly yeah, that I, course stacks up to but and i haven't heard or haven't looked for any chitter chatter on socials of saying like garmin strava said this that and the other of whether it was short or not i mean i think it was like a, just a fast like a flat mm-hmm. flat run fast run from that and i think we're just seeing a level of where the running's getting to with the sport maybe as well I think probably quite good conditions for the race. I mean, I know it looked pretty miserable with rain and stuff, but probably maybe that was. Those are ideal running conditions, right? Like they're miserable. They're miserable for spectating. They're miserable for like being out there for that long, but good running conditions. We also saw, I mean, obviously uh, Patrick Langa won and like all the time it was like, him back guard all the top men were european they all ran like in the 240s it was kind of nuts and so i had also had a couple people asking me like where were the american men like why was it all these europeans um because it was it was like you just like went down the list and it was like oh man i mean i think it was interesting for patrick lang langer because he was in the front pack off the bike um, which perhaps people wouldn't normally expect him to be and they would just see him running through the field but he was like had a great swim and then was in that lead pack off the bike. And so as soon as they got out of T2, he was in the he- in the lead and just looked as he does amazing when he runs. But yeah, I think just like there's not been the races in Europe for so long and mm. Europe's been so locked down and maybe people have just been training, but have just been like busting like a coiled spring ready to get out and race. And so have had whether some of them had planned to do Texas and then and then that, you know, when that was cancelled, just went to Tulsa or had entered both anyway, um, feeling that probably it was a better chance that those races were going to take place than to stay in Europe at the time. And I think quite a few had come over earlier and spent some time in the US just with facilities and training being a lot more open. I think that's probably why you saw... Yeah, the I don't know. Team Europe is just so strong. <laughs> like, <laughs> where, are, where are the American men? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's like a whole other topic. But you did you did see a lot of Europeans come over yeah. and kind of um, stay here in the US, do a bunch of races. You're still seeing that, yeah, to a degree because there aren't races in Europe um, or South Africa. I know, like Emma Pallant was telling me she, she's on our podcast today, and she was telling me she's coming over to do a couple races in the US. Because it's just kind of where you yeah, can get races. She was trying to. She was planning to race in Europe and the sort of the mm-hmm. European races and the championships, but she just can't get here from from South Africa with restrictions and stuff. You know, it's the same. Right. You still, I think it's maybe a bit keeps being talked about being lifted, but to get to the UK, you effectively you're still meant to be quarantining, kind of thing. Unless and so, unless a race organizer is going to work with the government to say these athletes are coming over, they don't need to do the two weeks quarantine you're not going to go and you know, race there. So yeah, Emma's, I think Emma's, yeah, Emma's going back to the U S to race. Cause that's where she can get there easier um, mm-hmm. than the, than the UK and the Euro- Europe at the moment. I mean, the other thing you and I were talking about though, is like up to date, every race has had 60 men on the start list or 80 men or a hundred, right. It's been crazy. It's like, we saw that in Florida. We saw that in Texas. We saw that at St. George. And now I'm looking, I looking at the start list moving forward like i'm looking at the ironman Coeur d'Alene start list the ironman lake placid start list the ironman uk start list 
And they're not, <laughs> not 70 people. They're like 12 women or yeah. four. Like it's much. And I know for sure, obviously everyone's waiting with like travel restrictions to put their name down, but still they're much, much, much smaller. And I'm wondering if we kind of like saw this spike and now everyone has their Kona spots, not everyone, but the people, yeah. many people have their Kona yeah. spots. And now everyone's just kind of like, okay, I got my racing in early. Now I'm just going to train and be ready for the yes. fall when all the big races happen again. Yeah, because I think what we're seeing, like a lot of races that have been postponed, everything's in mm-hmm. September. Like it's so going to have like five races every weekend. And I think, yeah, because last year without the races, but people were training. And so they, as soon as that opportunity to race came up, they've just filed in for those early, early. I mean, we're, we're almost June, end of May, right. those, those races to get on a start list and to race. And then now it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I've had my fix. I've done a few races. You know, there's there's actually some people in the U. You know, like Sky Monch and and mm-hmm. Sarah Crowley and um... <laughs> the the big thing that is happening, obviously, at the end of July is the Olympics. So what we still do have left is Olympic qualifying, which is obviously still super nuts. We know that like the U.S. women, it's nuts, and it's going to come down to the Leeds race next weekend. But the British men, it's also crazy now because our I don't want to like jinx them, but I think we're pretty certain at this point that the British men are not getting three spots. And if they don't get three spots, then the question becomes, is Alistair not going to the Olympics? Is that what happens? How dare you say that Alistair Brownlee might not qualify for the Olympics? Wash your mouth out, Kelly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is going to be like you know I think I think from a Brit's perspective we look at the US women's team selection dilemmas and just go oh my god that's such a nightmare um I don't think it everyone's as stressed about the men's qualifying as as that but yeah it is going to be quite controversial as to whether Mr Brownlee two-time Olympic champion does take that second spot or whether they do give it to to Alex Yee um who is out there racing at the moment sort of thing. And yeah, we've not really seen Alistair race over the short distance for a while. Yeah. I mean, obviously ultimate leads, I think uh, objectively on paper, Alex, uh, Alex, she deserves the spot, right? I mean, you just kind of have to say that, but Alistair is Alistair, right? It, you never know what he's going to pull and off. He, and he ultimately, he knows how, you know, I don't think he would, potentially have been favorite going into Rio but he knows how to deliver that one day performance at the Olympics maybe that's the the killer the or the key four years on though or five years on now from Rio and uh, nine years from London is he got that set I think the sport's moved on he's doing different things and yeah has he got I don't know god yeah I'm more interested in the women let's watch the men anyway <laughs> Well, we are going to, so we do have the one last qualifying race. The mixed relay event was this past weekend, which kind of locked in which teams qualify for mixed relay. It's a little confusing to me because if you qualify four people individually, then you can field a relay or you can qualify as a relay team, even if you didn't have four, but there were only a limited number of spots. So So it's a little weird. If you qualify as a relay team, can any of your athletes compete in the individual? I'm guessing no, you can, you're only there for a relay well, I just, yeah, team. but there aren't, th- I don't think there were that many, like, it's just kind of one of those things where like the people who qualified as a relay, all of their individuals were good. So, yeah. so I don't, I don't exactly yeah. understand it, but 
I think there's 12 countries, give or take, that'll be yeah. competing in the relay. I think watch out for the Norwegians. Okay, my prediction, <laughs> my prediction is that the uh, the U.S. is going to beat the French. So there you go. Oh, U.S. is going to beat the French. Ooh, <laughs> controversial. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we could. I mean, I think that like the U.S. is going to have a ridiculously ridiculously strong team. Um, I think the Norwegians are looking pretty strong, even though you might not consider the women, the female, or the the Norwegian women as strong as the men. But I think that's the beauty of the mixed team relay. It's so short and sharp that you don't necessarily need to have those four super, you know, four top ranked athletes in the world on the men and women's side. I think you can still be the best relay team out there um, and win. But yeah, I think, yeah, that's pretty... I think the French would have to go in as favorites mm-hmm. or one of the favorites, but now maybe that, yeah. Well, it depends who are the U.S. Oh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Third spot. So that all three athletes are going to be killing it for the relay spot. <laughs> the other thing, though, that was odd. So the mixed relay, like final qualification event was in Lisbon this past weekend. And the PTO, the Pro Triathlete Organization, put up money for the prize purse, yeah. which you and I discussed was like, not, not that there's anything wrong with that. It was just odd. Like I've never seen a private organization put up money for a federation, an international federation yeah. event before. And the other thing that was a little bit odd was that there was no big press release about it. Whereas all the other PTO supported races get a press release about them announcing that it's being supported. So it was kind of a bit like, is do we are we meant to know about this? Are we not meant to know about this? I know the the media or the quote that was on the, I think the WTS website changed overnight from what was said. Um, oh, look, mixed mixed thoughts about it. Like I, half of me understands like as a PTO, it's about, it. it is trying to maybe unite the whole sport and I guess where they're going with the Collins Cup or where we're going with the Collins Cup. Um Yes, you need it. a lot of it is focused around those WTS athletes. They're going to be at the Olympics. There's a lot of profile around them. Maybe that's where the PTO is thinking it's valuable because there's of that visibility. Um, I struggled with it a little bit though when I first saw it, as I think you know, like and sending it to you and a few others because for me the PTO was formed as a voice for the long course athletes because we don't have governing bodies and federations in our sport and that was the one of the reasons why we were trying to set up a voice of the pto um but i think you know things have evolved and for us to get the exposure as a sport maybe it needs to needs to change a bit but yeah it was a bit of a, a weird one and i'm not sure how many people saw or noticed right and then i was not clear either if mixed relay didn't have a prize purse before um because yeah. obviously like prize money at WTS, like there is prize money for uh, world triathlon races. That's been a thing for a long time. Um, and they pay like top 20 or 30. Pays pretty like, deep. I mean, yeah. pays pretty deep. Um, and then obviously every federation national governing body is different. Like the U.S., we don't have quite as, I mean, we have a perfectly good system, but you know what I mean? Like we don't have a government backed system the same way like other countries do. So certainly like we're pretty used to private companies backing our national federal federation <laughs> athletes but it is but it's not something you see at the international level like it's just not so it's it's a it's an odd one yeah 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 was odd we'll leave it there 
<laughs> the PTO <laughs> rankings are also, I don't know if anyone checked out like a week or so ago. There's a new uh, definitive stats website, which is actually kind of cool. It's called, it's like stats.protriathlon.org, something like that. Um, Cause it's, yeah. and it's kind of every person. I mean, Laura, I'm listed on there. I'm number 318. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very I mean, it's in-depth an yeah. database. it is yeah. an impressive database like and they're obviously trying to create you know the go-to place which is great because it's driving you know driving visibility to the site and getting you know they although I do find it like my head they do like they're doing a head-to-head of athletes of who you're rival is or who you've raced and mine's like Meredith Kessler and all the photos I've got of her of like us hugging at a race or she did a bungee jump with me and I'm like this is what a rival is they tie themselves to you and throw themselves off a bridge with you I mean it is quite hilarious but yeah it's good fun it's very in-depth it also has like every I mean I was pretty I mean it's pretty impressive pretty comprehensive like I said it has me in there and I'm like 318 and it but it also had like it like ranks you that it's like had we had rate i had rankings for last year and i was like i didn't race last year like where did they like check my koms on strava like what what is happening here <laughs> big brother is watching you right right yeah but it is part yeah. of the whole like the pto rankings which i think what's interesting about the pto rankings is like we've always had in the very niche like top pro levels of the sport people have always compared stats and given rankings and like who's better than who but now they matter if that makes it now it's like well okay it's, it's, it's as one of my friends said it's all fun and games but now there's real money right like now these rankings matter because you need to be in the top four to make the collins cup and the collins cup has 100 what 1.5 million dollars on the line so now the pros like actually really care and now that you're getting into this like well why did this person rank higher for this yeah. race than this person ranked for that race why was this race worth less points than that race like and so now people are getting really in the weeds right because it's like well shit yeah. <laughs> like yeah well it's because it's 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 ultimately making the results black and white and actually that like you said yes we've had rankings before but there was never as much money or maybe people didn't pay as much attention so people could still like but but now it's kind of like I had a great interview with a, one of the pro women talk about it. She's like, you have a, a bad race or a slight off day or you take your foot off the gas and you plummet in the rankings and you're actually punished for it. And also then it's seen like sponsors and stuff see that. And actually, so the rankings now with money attached to them, it's kind of, it's almost harsh because it can be make or break. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it means something because if you are ranked highly, and however they're doing the black magic of rankings, I still don't understand. But if you're ranked highly, you're getting those spots to the Collins Cup, which is financially beneficial for you. But reversely, it's almost like it's going to break some athletes, I think, as well. Mm. It's not potentially supporting. It's not the voice of the athlete organization that, again, we wanted. But it's new, it's different, it's change. It's going to take time to adapt and get around to that. Like we said, we're in a funny year of racing. Right. We didn't have it before, so it's kind of probably better than where we were before. And I think ultimately where we're trying to get to, it's going to be great. And the the database and the, yeah, like you said, that is, it is an impressive database of information they have there. Yeah, I mean, they had to have written some computer code to scrape like every results yeah. website. That's oh. the only way you could do it, but uh yeah. Yeah, it isn't. And maybe that's what triathlon needed. Maybe we needed it to be make or break, super hardcore. 
yeah. No more hugging I mean, your rivals. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I mean that. I guess it's 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 trying to create more visibility of the sport, like trying to get it, maybe take it to that next next level and commercialize it more. Mm-hmm. And maybe we've just it's that. And I always hate this because I used to work in change management, but like you know that question of, but that's the way we've always done it, and maybe that's like now I'm just saying, but that's the way we always did it, and I don't like this change. <laughs> You're like too bad get on board sid <laughs> so, yes, exactly <laughs> well it'll be an yeah. interesting year for sure as we like get back to racing and we'll see what happens with everything later this year so yes all in september now exactly. <laughs> all right thanks for chatting <laughs> All right, this week we're talking to Emma Pallant, the two-time duathlon world champion, was second at 70.3 Worlds. Emma, you've been in South Africa, even, I mean, you're British, you're from the UK, but you've been in South Africa a lot for the last year. Is that just because of COVID? Is that, is it better for training? Like, how'd you end up in South Africa? Um, yeah, so originally I came over here for to race East London um, the same year as the, oh no, it was quite a few years ago. Um, and yeah, met a young South African man and um, we got married in January. Um, we were locked down here um, and yeah, it's pretty much become um, home for me. You got married during the COVID, during COVID, right? So did you have to do a whole Zoom wedding ceremony and everything? Yeah, yeah, we did the uh, the Zoom, um, which I don't know, to begin with, I was a bit like, oh, man, maybe we should wait. Um, and um, it just, yeah, it kind of actually made the day probably even more special because we have so many friends from different parts of the world and everyone was there. And um, yeah, we just still can throw a big party at some point. That'll be good. When everyone gets to have like a big party again, post COVID, uh, it'll be fun. Yeah, for sure. So you uh, started out as a track runner for Great Britain. I mean, you were like a 1500 meter runner. And my understanding is, I mean, you were ready, ready, but, you know, trying to make the London Olympics and you got very injured. Like you literally had to pull up during the trials. You ended up having knee surgery. You still had problems even after knee surgery. And you pretty much thought you were done with running, right? Like you didn't think you were able to keep going. Yeah, so I had um, an awesome surgeon. Um, he operated on my knee, and he was like, "To be honest, like I've seen people come back from this, but um, yeah, you got to really reduce the load. You got to reduce what you're doing." Um, and I kind of, yeah, it was um, a bit of an unknown, but I was, I was really enjoying my cross training, and um, I won the European cross country pretty much on cycling, rowing, and swimming. So I kind of knew I could be in okay like run shape if I was fit um, and yeah it was more having the goal of a race and a competition um, that made me do a triathlon at, at the kind of end of my rehab. The, it's probably about the third time I was doing the rehab. 
And so you just did one for fun and you ended up being, I mean, were you planning to go back to running and then you just kind of got sucked into triathlon? Yeah, definitely. It kind of was just uh, something to fill the gap and um, yeah, just to have fun rather than being a run competition where I knew everyone, I knew what I should be running. Um, it was just something totally new, adventurous. And uh, yeah, I thought that I would then go straight back to running, but I absolutely loved it. And so at what point did you decide, all right, this is what I'm going to do now instead? Like, I'm going to be a professional triathlete, not a professional runner. Um, I think it was pretty much like my training of seeing all the other people at the club and all the girls and guys that I was competing and training with. And I just knew that if I tried doing the same loading as them, then, yeah, I was just going to be back on crutches all over again. So it was kind of... I thought that it would take at least a year or a couple of years of having to do something different um, before I could get back to full training. And, and I didn't want to be competing without being like what I saw as putting in all the work um, and being on a full training program. So, yeah, I kind of thought, OK, I'm just going to throw everything into this triathlon and, and uh, just see how I go with it and see if I enjoy it. So when you say that you kind of were able to reduce your load, you basically are saying you just were able to run less miles in triathlon, right? Like how, because overall your training volume is actually higher, right? Than it was when you were a runner. Yeah. And that's the ironic thing now that I can run further and longer and I train way harder um, kind of than I was in the running days. And um, it was literally through just resetting, like re-looking at, I trained as a physio and I started to re-look at the way that I was um, running and re-looked at rather than we were lifting quite heavy when we were uh, younger. And so I went more into functional movement patterns and more body weight stuff. Um, and just finding what worked for me in that time that, um, again, as a runner, I maybe wasn't eating the best. Um, I was surrounded by it was that really skinny look rather than the strong look of triathlon. Um, so I'd say so many things changed um, and I actually mm. became a healthier athlete from it and then gradually was building up my training. Um, and to begin with, it was that focus on the swim that made me be able to switch off from the hard run training and just focus on the technical aspects um, because I knew I was smashing myself in the pool and I knew how much work I had to do in there. I mean, at first you were kind of trying to do ITU, right? So obviously that's a lot, a lot of swimming. Were you, did you have a swim background? How hard is it to kind of get to be that good a swimmer at, at you know, 24 or however old you were? Sure. Yeah. So um, I kind of was, yeah, my mum made sure that we, we all learned to swim. And then my older sister, she was um, club captain at our little local swimming club. So uh, yeah, if they ever needed anyone, um, track meets were always in the morning. So then she'd get me into the galas like in the evening. She'd be like, oh yeah, Emma will do the relay. Um, and I was all energy. Like I didn't really, I'm not very patient. I didn't care about technique and learning the stuff. Um, my mum was just happy that I didn't drown. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I kind of wouldn't say I was a mega swimmer when I was younger. Um, and that certainly on the ITU scene, there was many a time that I came into transition. It was only my bike there. Um, but yeah, I think it made me stronger and, and have the fight and made me learn more about triathlon because I, I didn't even know about long distance. Like when I started out, all I'd seen was what was at the Olympics. Really? Because I so like here in the US, obviously, it's opposite. It's like all anyone knows is long distance, and they don't really know ITU. But in, in Britain, it's kind of the other way around, right? Yeah. And I think, again, coming from the running kind of scene, and, and that was like, 
yeah, I just saw saw what was like on show and on TV and stuff. So. So after, so eventually though, you were like, okay, I'm not like you moved out of the ITU and more into the 70.3. You did duathlon for a while. Is duathlon, is duathlon a big thing in Europe? Like, is that a thing lots of people do? Yeah. I mean, I think that especially in places like Spain and France and stuff, they'll have the duathlon leagues. Um, and duathlon was, um, when I found out there was a world champs, I was like, oh, brilliant. Amazing. Because it was just that whilst I wasn't really making it, I wasn't on funding. Um, my sponsors, kind of a couple of my running sponsors had, um, followed me across, but I, I needed a result. I needed to give them something. And so, yeah, finding out that there was a world champs duathlon, um, yeah, it was kind of perfect just to keep the momentum whilst I was picking up my swimming. Okay. And so I, so it was just kind of like a, a stepping stone, really. It wasn't like, I'm going to be a duathlete forever. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> there was no, um, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's that massive a sport. And again, not being in the Olympics, I was like, okay, it's just like, yeah, something that was kind of in the triathlon progression. Okay. So then when you decided to move like in distance to 70.3, what sort of changed? I mean, were you able to stop swimming as much or, or do you have to bike more? How'd you, how'd you kind of shift? Um, yeah, I kind of, um, I, again, I wasn't massively clued up uh, when I went into it. I borrowed my housemate's TT bike um, and I'm still on like a big swim program, um, which again was, was helping me build up my running. Um, but the first one I remember just, um, I think it was a challenge race in Brazil but um, I was probably about like I'd, I'd have a reasonable swim um, and I'd got into the front of the race on the run. And then I had like, I, I would say it was about one or two K to go. Um, and nutrition, I hadn't even thought about nutrition. I just, yeah, again, when I was running, I never used to eat or drink like in a run race. I was more of a mid middle distance runner. And I just felt so dizzy and, and it was quite hot. And I just run through every aid station. I was like, no way, I'm not wasting time, like taking water and things. I'm just going to get to this finish line. And yeah, I nearly didn't get there. I, I fainted and I think probably lost. Yeah, I can't remember however many minutes, but I think it came in about eighth or something. <laughs> you fainted. Did you get up and finish? Yeah. So the guy the guy was like trying to put me on um, a stretcher and he was like, we need to put a drip on you. And I was like, no way. Like, I, I need to just get to the end. Like, uh, yeah, I came around pretty quick and I was just threw loads of water on, drank loads of water, sat there for about 15 minutes and then walked in. <laughs> All right. So do you eat now in your in your 70.3s? I do. I do. <laughs> I'm fine now. <laughs> I think there were like some other things you said were different from running. Obviously the eating, uh, it's a lot longer. Um, I mean, you train like a lot more hours now, right? What else is different? Um, yeah, I think just being with people, like I love being able to go, like you can coach an athlete and then you can race with them. Whereas like when I was running, it was literally, we'd fly into a place, we'd see a hotel room and then a track um, and then back to the hotel and fly out. Like, and it feels very much like the stands are so separate from the track whereas in a triathlon everyone's together everyone's on the start line together everyone's like crowds on the roads um and i just love that variation of courses like there's so many yeah people's strengths are always different on different courses which is i think keeps it quite exciting you uh i was looking at some uh tra like day in the life of you you uh, you train a lot like 
you're at like four, it's like 40 hours. It's pretty high even for, I mean, I know obviously the pros train a lot, but it's, it's a, it's a big load even for, even for a pro. Yeah. And that's something, um, I've actually changed a little bit now. So, um, I got to a new coach in January. I'm now working with Tim Don and Mm. yeah, my training is like totally different. And to begin with, I looked at my program. I was like, okay, like where's the rest of it? Where, where, (laughs) what's going on here? And it's like, trust me. And, um, yeah, it's not that I think again, I was in that, that phase of thinking that I'm doing long distance, I have to load all the time, all the time and be at this one pace. And um, his training is actually a lot harder because of the intensity and the pickup of mm-hmm. new sessions, but I'm not training all day, every day. Like I actually have time in between to recover. I'm doing more stretching, more, yeah, just more like, I don't feel like a zombie. I've, I'm in different zones now rather than always like my, yeah, my training load was quite heavy a couple of years ago. So you switched in the middle of COVID. Was it like a COVID move or was it just because it was time for something new? Yeah, I think I've been working with a coach um, when I was in London um, till uh, probably, yeah, the beginning, maybe two years ago. Um, And then, yeah, I kind of just did stuff with the group um, because I moved to South Africa. So I just had a couple of guys that I was just feeling my way around because I didn't want to train on my own here. Um, and then COVID hit. So I literally just made up my own stuff, was doing Zwift races, was, yeah, just having fun because I, I didn't know when my next race was. Um, and when Daytona came around, I was like, okay, like races are getting serious again. Like I need to have a plan. I need to have a coach um, and just get back into, um, yeah, I love a routine. And I, I think I'm one of those people that needs to be told what to do. Otherwise I'll do everything and anything. So you were making it up last year. What were some of the things you uh, made up and like decided to do during during the whole year last um, year? Yeah, so um, we didn't have access to a pool for a very long time. Um, and we had six weeks where we couldn't go outside. So thankfully, mm-hmm. we had a treadmill in the garage, which, yeah, I said is the best investment ever. Um, because I don't think we would have got married in January. And um yeah, then we just turboed and treadmilled and I was making up some crazy just band sessions. Um, and to be honest, I think it helped my swim a little bit just literally because I was a little bit stronger in my upper body. Um, but yeah, we were having fun. I actually went into my running diary and I looked back at um, some of the sessions that I was doing as a kid um, and the speeds that I was hitting. And I used them as a goal of almost like prepping for a race. So I'd have this like big build up to this session in the garage where I was going to see if I could beat the old me, um, put on some banging tunes. We got some disco lights. We just turned it into a bit of like a club and, um, yeah, our neighbors probably hated us. Um, (laughs) yeah, we just had fun with it. And, um, again, here where we live is, is at altitude. So it was that extra little bit of challenge if, if I could hit those same run speeds, then I knew I was in good run shape. Huh. And so you, I mean, you, like you mentioned, South Africa had some pretty strict restrictions last year. Um, were you able to see your family at all then over the year? Were you guys able to like get out and leave at all? Yeah. So um, we couldn't, for, it was probably, so Jared's family, we saw when the 
travel restrictions stopped, which I want to say it was two or three months later. Um, and that was actually when they first, um, they lived down in Durban. So pools were still closed for a long time. So we actually went for a little training trip down there um, so that we could swim in the sea as well. Um, so we could do some Zwift races, not at altitude. But my family, I haven't seen since, yeah, two Christmases ago. So in between really? I've got engaged, I've got married. Um, yeah, my two-year-old nephew is now a four-year-old. Um, yeah, it's been a long time. That's crazy. Is it just, it's really hard to get into Europe right now, right? It's basically the, yeah, the problem. It's just um, the travel exemptions from um, India, Brazil, and South Africa. Um, you, you can't, like everywhere we go to say, okay, you need a 10-day quarantine just because you're coming from one of those three places. So um, oh. we did try to get back there to race and um, so I could go to the UK. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be a little while longer. You did make it over to the US though, and you just did, I mean, you obviously, like you mentioned, you did Daytona and then you just did St. George, uh, or you came in third. St. George was pretty competitive, pretty deep. Uh, yeah. It was quite the race on the women's side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I, I love that race. So, um, yeah, when we were looking at races and places that we could go, um, I flew out to do Florida first, and then I went straight from Florida. Um, to St. George. So we probably had about a week and a half just over to prepare there. Um, and it was amazing. Like the training there, I was so glad like we went there in the build up as well because, yeah, we were thinking, okay, we need to know the course for the world. And that was mm -hmm. other thinking that, okay, this will hopefully attract lots of the strong girls and we can see where we're at, where we need to improve. Um, and yeah, it was a good field for sure. So you are, I mean, I'm assuming then that your plan for the year is 70.3 worlds. That's a focus, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's kind of the A goal. And if I make it to the Collins Cup, then that's, yeah, a, a bonus as well. It's funny, though, because those are like, how, how far apart are they? Like three weeks, two weeks? There's a whole bunch of big races, like all in a very short time span. How are you guys dealing with that? Yeah, I think... Um, in my race plans for coming up as well, I've tried to have a couple of races where I'm going to do them back to back. So um, just, again, have good recovery and just get your body, like, to see what works in between those races. So I've got um, two races. I keep forgetting which ones they are. The first one is <laughs> uh, Des Moines. Des Moines 70 points. Oh, Des Moines. And okay. there's a Rev 3 in... Uh, Williams Williamsburg it has to be Williamsburg yeah <laughs> there's like nothing else yeah <laughs> yeah so they're, they're um, backing each other up and then um, escape from Alcatraz um, and another 70.3 again um, one week apart just to get that speedy recovery see which yeah sessions work and things huh okay just testing it out for all the all the big stuff this fall yeah <laughs> just testing so uh and now that you've changed it to Tim Don, you said he's kind of having you do less stuff and more intense stuff, give or take, and like more recovery. How is that? Do you think, are you seeing results yet? How is that working? Yeah, definitely. I think um, with everything, like he's changed so much and, and even the way that I approach races, um, kind of just being a bit smarter, being a bit... Um, yeah, wiser with like on the bike. I used to sit and think, okay, I I can't like make any moves, or I wasn't confident in my biking because I thought I'm a runner. I need to save it for the run. So whatever girls like are around me, I'll track them and yeah, I'll try and like 
play like that and he's made me a lot more confident in my biking um, and encouraged me to know my numbers, to stick at my own pace and yeah, to feel strong, not rely on anyone else in the race. Um, also to research courses, um, we, we specific kind of specifically train a little bit more around the, the key goals for the courses. Um, and yeah, I'm, I am finding that I can get faster and hit the key sessions even harder when, yeah, there's not so much fluff in between. It's very, uh, <laughs> and he tells me off, like, if I do an easy thing too hard, like he won't give me a thumbs up and say like, well done, like you're going well, I'll be like, what were you doing? What are you doing there? <laughs> Do you guys, I mean, he's not in South Africa though, right? So you must talk over like training peaks or Zoom or something. Yeah, yeah. He's back in the UK. And um, the good thing is he as well used to coach Jared. So they have a great communication. And um, yeah, Jared rats me out a lot. Um, he's up here <laughs> training with me quite a bit. And um, yeah, those two have a good communication as well, which which kind of helps. Is that good or bad though? Like having your husband kind of always there telling your coach what you're doing? <laughs> yeah, I, I always like have a go at him and I say it's a bad thing, but um, yeah, no, it seems to be working. He, um, yeah, he makes me accountable to things. So um, yeah, it definitely is working for, for my triathlon. He is also a triathlete, right? So do you guys do a lot of your training together or are you like kind of on separate programs? Yeah, so he's kind of taken, um, he was he was just going into the kind of pro scene when COVID hit. Um, and then he was like, okay, we can't both be doing this. I need to get a real job. Um, and he loves to mountain bike. So he's really got into his mountain biking and he's kind of the total opposite to me. So I like a plan and a, um, I love to have a key race and be all focused in. Whereas he loves to last minute be like, I'm going to do this and just to have fun with his training. So He's more been, yeah, he'll just put the fat pants on in the pool and he'll help help me with my swim session and then he'll jump into this and then jump into that and he just has fun with it now. So, um, yeah, he, he kind of just does it to help me, which is cool. I'm sorry, what are fat pants? Oh, they're the big boy shorts. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I call them his fat pants. <laughs> got it all right so you so you guys have like a kind of a little training squad is johannesburg like the next hot tra triathlon training spot i know there are a ton of pros there yeah i would say that it is actually yeah really good to train so a lot of people know about stellenbosch but um yeah just because it's it's warm here it's at altitude um and the riding in the cradle which is like um i guess like a national park type thing um, it's just awesome. And yeah, if you know the right places, then it's, it's a really good place to train. And there's plenty of age group guys to jump in and out. Um, yeah, if I want to train with anyone, I, I, there's so many great guys around here to, to hook up with. Yeah. So you mentioned that you used to just like, wait, like, oh, I'm a runner. I'm just going to like get everyone on the run, but now you're getting more confident in your biking. How do you, I mean, even though you obviously have improved your swim, you still like come out a little further back, right? So you're always kind of like making it up. How do you deal with that mentally? Are you like, okay, I know this run is going to be really, really painful because <laughs> I have to catch everyone. Yeah, I, I kind of like it. I um, <laughs> So in my running days, I was the hunted. So I, again, as a kid, I had no patience. I would just go hard from the gun and just just race as hard as I could and just hope that no one would catch me. Um, and, um, yeah, having, being hunted down, um, I kind of prefer the chase and I think it's exciting and I think it's, 
yeah, always just having that person or that goal up in front um, and just to make you push that a little bit harder. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. Okay. And so besides uh, 70.3 Worlds, what else do you have planned this year? You, I know in the past you've done Kona, you passed out at Kona. To, apparently you pass out at races. Thing. <laughs> so is that still in the, like, are you planning on doing that this year or is that like in the future? Yeah, I think my 70.3 took a little bit of a hit when I was trying to do Ironman at the same time. Um, mm. I think um, just I feel like I'm in a good place now with my nutrition strategy and my training for 70.3. Um, I always said I'll focus on one or the other. And um, I think when I want to focus on Ironman, I think I'll do 70.3s kind of to help in that, in that plan. Um, but when I'm focused on 70.3, as I said, yeah, I'm just going to leave Ironman for now and just um, try and just, yeah, see where I can come at, at Worlds and things. Do you think it seems like there's more and more people who are really specializing and focusing in 70.3 or, you know what I mean? Like they're they're really becoming different, not just, you know, the same thing. Yeah, massively. I think I think as well, seeing girls step up from the ITU it's making mm -hmm. even more competitive and that dynamic of now you've got the really strong swimmers and um, yeah, you just, you, you can't have a weakness almost. Right. I mean, especially, I think this year there's a number of people who are going to kind of do 70.3 worlds after the Olympics. Right. So it'll be, it'll be intense. Yeah. And I think it makes it fun. I think, yeah, when you've got a whole range of fields and no one really knows what's going to play out, I think, um, yeah, it's going to make the racing good. So how, okay, so you had like a whole running career and now you have like a triathlon career. How long do you think you're going to be in this triathlon career? Like, what do you see in the future? Yeah, I can't see myself ever not like competing. I think I'll always um, just, just, I feel so balanced and I feel good in my body being a triathlete and I feel like it, um, I've got a very obsessive character and, and I feel like if I have one thing that I'm doing, I'm going to overdo it. Um, and it's kind of keeps me balanced. So I think it, I do fit, I think of it as like a lifestyle thing. Um, I always do want to do comrades and a marathon at some point. Um, my best friends just qualified for, um, the Olympics marathon. And it's something I always said, I want to run with her and I will go back to like doing some run races, um, when I'm having fun with my triathlon. So yeah, still got big goals out there. All right. So you, what are your big goals? What are your big goals you still have out there? Um, so with triathlon, I still, I want to have uh, another 70.3 podium. Uh, okay. And I, yeah, I want to nail an Ironman. I want to do a good, good Ironman and then a good comrades, a good marathon. Um, yeah, they'd, they'd probably be the main things. Do you, um, I mean, you said you studied as a physio and I know you used to coach athletes. Do you, you don't, do you do those things still on the side or is that just kind of like something in the future you might get back to? Yeah, I do, um, online coaching, which, uh, mm. I definitely want to do more hands on when, when I've kind of retired from my, yeah, my competitive, um, triathlon. Right. But, um, yeah, I think it's a good balance because when you're exercising all the time and you're pushing your body to the limits and like, I feel the only thing that makes me sit down and concentrate is if like my mind is kept busy and especially taper weeks, I just go yeah, and like, I love doing my work and, um, I find it really interesting and, and I love like the, the relationships you develop and stuff. It's super cool. 
Do you ever do the same races as your athletes? Like, do you see them at your races? Yeah, I've actually managed to persuade one of them to come and do Williamsburg. So uh, yeah, I'll be <laughs> down there. And yeah, I love I love racing when my athletes are there. I think, uh, yeah, then like you're all in it together. It's kind of cool. <laughs> what is your favorite uh, triathlon race you've done so far then? Oh, um, I think I'd probably have to say Barcelona um okay just because i've never had a bad experience there it's one of those races that um it's a hilly bike course and um the descent goes quite quickly so you don't lose too much time on there um and yeah i love just the sea swim and the the beach kind of running yeah beside the beach is super cool Okay. And it sounds, I mean, we kind of said this before, but it sounds like you like triathlon better than track racing. Have you done like, you know, road running races, like marathons, half marathon, whatever, which one do you like better? Sure. Yeah. That is a good question. Um, I think I love them both. I think they both are very <laughs> similar. Um, and yeah, I think as well, you can kind of like, like before COVID, the South African like races here, I was doing some of the road races, like um, I did a Pirates Half Marathon, a Soweto 10K, and it, I think you can do them side by side, and the triathlon actually makes you a stronger road runner, um, and I love them. Yeah, I could I could do both all, all day long. Sounds like you just like to race. You just want to like do all yeah. the things. It's everything. <laughs> Um, well, we usually kind of finish with a would you rather. And so now I'm like, uh, I'm curious, would you rather train in South Africa, Spain or the UK? Sure. I've done loads of training in all of them. Um, well, now that we have a little puppy and um, <laughs> well, we have all our friends locked down here, um, I would have to say South Africa. And I now think... Okay. Um, we've got a little home here, so I'm going to say South Africa. Is it hard to, I mean, it's like an other side of the world, you know, from where you grew up, from where it is from your family. Like, is it hard to develop a whole new place in somewhere different? Yeah, I think um, Jared, Jared is like my best friend and we are like that. I don't know. So we had a lot of time to begin with apart. Um, and kept things working and so when we were together i think it made things a lot easier because uh, yeah without him i definitely don't think i could have moved to another country and um yeah it was it was tough to set up but i think as well lockdown has helped because we, this is the first time we've been in one place together and we've made so many friends and yeah developed such a good base here i think actually it's important it's important to have a home and create your own home so yeah we've got that now all right, good. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. And I'm sure we're going to keep our eye on all of your back-to-back -back racing you have planned later this year. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks to Sid and Emma for the chat. And thanks to all of you. If you like what you hear, leave us a review or share with a friend. Keep training and keep listening.